Dahlia Rose is a USA Today best-selling author with over seven dozen books published in the last 15 years. Born in Barbados, her books feature relatable women of color with a hint of Caribbean spice. She always dreamed of becoming a writer when she was younger, but it was when her husband was deployed to Iraq. She sent him stories to keep him upbeat, and he kept asking for more. So with encouragement, she started sending the stories out on Query, and she never really stopped. There have been some bumps along the way. Anxiety, stress, hand surgeries, and more. So the trick to becoming sustainable has been relearning how to find balance in the midst of life. We talk about this and more on today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Dahlia Rose, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And for people who don't know who you are, what would you like to share about yourself? Um, I'm a USA Today bestselling author. I write primarily romance, but I, you know, cover a genre, the spectrum of the genres from thrillers to suspense, urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. I am originally from Barbados, a small island in the Caribbean, and by way of New York, I ended up in North Carolina, living here with my husband and my kids. So, and I have been writing for around 15 years. I'm also um, repped by Julie Gwynn of the Seymour Agency, and I have my first book coming out with Hallmark in December. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. And what does that mean to be like published by Hallmark? Tell me about that. Um. Well, you know, we always see the Hallmark Christmas Channel and we see the Christmas movies and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So my book is set in, for Christmas, of course. And to be published by Hallmark means that, you know, it's my book is going to get out more mass market to the public. Mm-hmm. And there's also a movie option. So you might see my book as one of those Christmas movies. At yeah. Some point. Like on the Hallmark Channel? Yes, definitely. Well, that's amazing. How did, how did that come about? Um, Hallmark had last year, they had an open submission. At that point, I wasn't agent, had an agent at that time. So my friend, Naima Simone, she pressed me and she's like, this is perfect. You you write such good Christmas stories. Send them this proposal. And I was like, oh, no, they're just, (laughs) they're not even going to look at me. I'm like, I am not up to their level and she's like you never know until you try so send it in mm-hmm. and I send it in and a few weeks later I heard back from the acquisitions editor of Hallmark and they wanted me to you know change around a few things and you know tighten up the proposal and then I actually had a call with them and they gave me the good news that you know they wanted to contract my book and I freaked out a little bit awesome <laughs> And then I, after the you know call was over, I called Naeem and I freaked out a little bit with her. And it's been um, a whirlwind system. It's great to work with them. They're all amazing and um, they're very sweet and they give you all the prompts and all the, you know, you can reach out to them at any time. So I know there's always people that say, you know, they've got, you know, their bad stories with um, traditional publishing. But so far yeah. for me, it's been really great. Awesome. And did you start with a proposal or did you have a book draft done when you submitted to that? I started with a proposal in the first 30 pages. That's mm-hmm. what really they asked for, the, you know, to see your writing style and everything like that. So I submitted all that and just kept my fingers crossed. I actually just put it out of my head because I'd make myself crazy. <laughs> and I was not expecting for them to, you know, contact me and say, hey, can we talk about this? Yeah. You know, 
What's so interesting about that is you, you mentioned you needed your friend to prod you to do it because you weren't sure you were up to their level. And yeah. And how many books have you written and published? Uh, um, I'm what you would call a hybrid author, traditional mm-hmm. publishing, and um, I self-publish a lot of my work. And so far, I've done maybe about over seven dozen novels and novellas. I'm one of those people that this is my job job yeah and I don't go to a nine to five every day I get up I get my kids off to school and then it's me and my coffee and my computer till dinner time yeah and so I just think that's that's kind of funny right like you've written a lot of words and a lot yes a lot of words (laughs) and you still had you know maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome when it came to submitting something yeah I mean it's just like I'm one of those people that's very down to earth and I don't, you know, put on ears or toot my own horn. So I'm always like, huh, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you just have to take that plunge and, hey, it either works or it doesn't. It's either a yes or a no. Yeah. I'm kind of that person that I overthink everything. So I have to do it and then put it out of my head. Mm-hmm. If not, I will spend all day thinking about it all night. So I can't do that. So I have to do it and put it out of my head. And that's essentially what I did. And it was actually a great surprise to hear from them because then it's kind of like a validation kind of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm actually doing this. <laughs> it was a dream of mine from, I was 12 years old living in Barbados, everyone's on the beach playing and doing all the mm. water, and I'm under a tree with a book. So it's <laughs> always been my dream. So reality is surreal. Mm. Reality is surreal. Well, so you grew up in Barbados. Yes. And and you, you spent all your childhood there? Yes, right? the majority of it until my... Um, my father and my parents moved to New York and then me and my little sister moved with them. Mm. So um, we generally, I started out in New York and they always say, if you can survive New York, you can survive anything. And that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I really took, my dream really took off when um, I met my husband and Mm. he got deployed. He was a 23 year old veteran of the army and he got deployed to Iraq in Iraqi freedom. Mm-hmm. So I just used to send him stories and all kinds of stuff to keep mm. him upbeat because at that time we didn't have video chat or anything. And it was really hard to talk to him. It was really hard for him to talk to me. Mm. It was usually by Yahoo Messenger or if he could get a call out. And then it was, you know, going weeks upon weeks without hearing anything and biting your nails like, is he okay? And then yeah. you go that you get that call that he's okay. And then you breathe a little bit and then we go through the whole process over again. So that's how I kept my mind busy and not worrying about him was to, you know, write. And then when I wrote, he'd say, did you write anything new to send me? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to send it off. And he just said, you need to do this. So he was <laughs> the one that prompted me to actually put my work out there for the first time. That's so cool. And Yeah. So this was a this was a while ago. Yeah, um, fifteen years ago. Yeah, and that's so cool. Like you, you started as a way to you know to keep them upbeat and stay keep that connection and like when you when you, he encouraged you to start putting it out there. What did putting it out there mean for you? Um, putting it out there meant for me that I was going to look at the point there was no kindle there was no amazon so it's basically e-readers or traditional publishing Mm -hmm. so i did a little bit of both and i found some really amazing friends that put me in the right path for Mm e-readers so i would send out like my books to places like mundania press and a lot of small presses that are gone now Mm -hmm. and you know i got my first contract from one of these indie publishers and i was like oh wow really and from there it was marketing because we didn't have you know social media like we do now we had myspace i think Mm -hmm. god i'm old i'm so old i remember myspace oh god that makes me feel so old myspace (laughs) and so i really just connected and networked through myspace and yahoo groups and stuff like that and pub you know trying to get your work out there in that time was way harder than it is now 
Mm-hmm. So it was just basically a lot of trial and error and a lot of tears and a lot of, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. And then getting up the next day and say, okay, I'm going to still try to do this. So persistence, that was the main thing, persistence. Yeah. Yeah. So you're putting it out there. Are you like sharing like things to read or just like, did did you create the feedback loops to get kind of feedback on your stories? I really, we really did in those um, back then, but I call it the good old days. <laughs> we had Yahoo groups where, you know, you could get feedback and you can interact with other authors like you and join other groups where you could actually have people say, hey, can you check this out for me? What do you think? And, you know, get that feedback and you give them their feedback because we were all like in the same position trying to get our work out there yeah. and trying to get someone to see it. So the evolution from then to now is it's massive. It's like unbelievable because those days in that time you had your laptop and emails and not much else. And now we've got Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got Snapchat, which I don't know how to use. Mm-hmm. And there's TikTok, there is, you know, Twitter and all of these ways that social media helps us to market better. Yeah. And is are there ones avenues for that that work better for you than others? Um, I think that mostly um, Twitter, Instagram, and probably Facebook works better for me because I know them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do not know TikTok. <laughs> I tried doing a few TikToks, and there's probably a few of them up there, and I'm like, huh, this is a little uncomfortable talking into a camera about, you know, stuff. So I put <laughs> pictures up of my puppies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do that, but most of my primary marketing is probably through Facebook and Instagram and social media and Amazon marketing. They have advertisements mm-hmm. that you can buy, and Facebook does the same thing, and Instagram does the same thing. So I do most of that networking back and forth, blogs, and like you, podcasts, mm-hmm. and book signings, events. Um, conferences conventions because i'm a big sci-fi convention junkie so i use that as a way to market as well how fun do you have a favorite sci-fi convention um dragon con in atlanta Mm. i i think the only year i've ever missed was the last two years and i was going to go in 2020 but then you know we had everything go on so but I'm hoping they have it this year because I need to go. I'm ready for cosplaying once more. I need to cosplay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're all ready to cosplay if that's what it takes yeah. to get out. It, sure. We really are. It's like we're chomping at the bit to do something. Yeah. I actually get to go home for three weeks in July to Barbados, and I'm so looking forward to it. I'm just going to run up and down the beach like a crazy person. Mm. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so uh, you must know a, a bit about your audience or readership at this point mm-hmm. yeah what have you learned about your your readers that they are voracious readers they love books mm-hmm. and they remind me of me growing up they're mm-hmm. always ready to read and they're always ready to you know give you a review or give you your input and they're always there saying when's the next book coming out so if even if you're like tired and you're like oh man I should, they just make you so upbeat and they keep you give you that energy and that fuel because they're like oh my god i love your work and you know I, this relates to me and a lot of my readers because i am um an author of color mm-hmm. a lot of my readers are authors of colors but i have the blessing of being able to not only sell to authors of color but across the spectrum because I make my characters relatable. Yeah. And so one of the best things I've ever heard is that, you know, I am, you're writing characters that remind me of me. And so mm. that's what I really find that is one of the truest things about my readers that they really want people that reflect them. Yeah. And so I'm trying to give that to them and then build a story around them because who knows what's going to happen in their future. So they could be anything they want. And I have a lot of kids my daughter's friends and stuff that say oh your mom's a writer well this is i never knew i could be a writer or i can never knew i could do that and like yeah it's pretty easy and you guys shouldn't give up on your dream because before they made it seem like if it was the impossible dream and now it's not yeah yeah 
Wow, there's so much there to unpack. <laughs> yes, there, there is, definitely. So you build your characters around your readers. Like, mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Like, like what, um, what distinguishes your characters? Um, mostly because they're authors of color, and I write interracial mo- romance primarily, so it's kind of like we have um, African-American female and we have a Caucasian male. Mm-hmm. And before there was a lot of stigma on that, you know, yeah. because of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> yep. That unsaid word. But um, yeah. when I first started writing, it was like they told me that it was a fetish or a niche. And I'm mm. like, my life is not a fetish and or niche. Interesting. And my, my kids are certainly not that either. So I made a conscious effort to say, you know what, I'm going to tell these stories. And a good example of that is like historicals. I write historical romance sometimes. And instead of, you know, pirates, and I've actually traced the genealogy of my my husband's family back through the islands of Barbados. And he was of Scottish descent. And I'm like, okay, we've got something here. Hmm. And so I've started using, you know, historical aspects of the Caribbean and using that around my characters and making them African-American and one of the, um, or Caribbean, you know, black. And mm-hmm. they are like, well, this is a person that reminds me of me. And I've never seen that in a historical. Usually it's just those body strippers where, you know, it's Fabio on the cover. Yes. And a, and a girl with a red hair, with red hair. Now you're showing me heroines that have hair like mine and they're powerful and they're, you know, they're strong and they're not having to wait for someone to, you know, save them. They're saving themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot. <laughs> that is done. No, I love everything about that, and 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 it, you know, in some places, even you know, in the United States, you know, I know both in white predominant culture and in black predominant culture, where that is still, you know, a bit of a mm-hmm. taboo, you know, or pushing. I live edge. in the South. Let's yes, just put it that way. <laughs> yes, you live in the South very much. I've got plenty of good friends down there, and I know, yeah. you know, that's, that's real. And and it's come a long way for fifteen in fifteen years. And I meant I deal I dealt with it not only from strangers but from my husband's family as well because yeah. you know they're Caucasian and they were raised in this you know Southern atmosphere of. You, keep with your own color mm-hmm. and we were like breaking the mold here for me it wasn't a problem because i'm from in barbados you see this a lot we don't we don't even bother about you know who's co- what color anyone is we just see people and we see family yeah so it was really a culture shock for me actually mm-hmm. living it and seeing wow people really will you know, judge me on the color of my skin as opposed to the character or my personality. So it was culture shock, definitely. Yeah. Well, tell me more about Barbados culture and and how you maybe weave in, you know, your own upbringing into your characters and stories. Um, Caribbean, um, we're family. We meet you and we like you and your family. You get... You get one time of someone giving you dinner or serving you dinner, and then the rest of the time, it's like you make your own plate. (laughs) So that's how we are. We are just (laughs) friendly, and everybody's a friend. And I try to take away that stigma that, you know, that there is, you know, a barrier or a divide between. And I try to write my books like, hey, it's just like if I was in the islands and home that we don't see the color well, I can't even say see the color of a person's skin because we have to see the color of a person's yeah. skin. We do not care about the color of a person's skin, basically. Yeah. You could be polka dot and you'll be fine with it. So that's basically what I try to do in my books is that while it's there and we know that this is how the world is and it's not always black and white, we don't care. Yeah. We just see people. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why why do you think it's so different? I I honestly don't know. <laughs> America's and it's complicated and it's 
it's been one of those times where it's it's a culture shock for me because I'm from a very small island and I come to this place and it's huge amount of people and it's not even like I come to um, America and then I'm like in a small little town I'm in New York Mm -hmm. that's a culture shock in itself (laughs) but you know it's I think it's because it's the islands are more small in a close-knit we're built around community and you know every island has their traditions but we all see each other as who we are and we Mm -hmm. I think it's more that that we didn't I didn't grow up seeing a divide. Yeah. So when you you do see the divide, you're like, oh, wow, this really does happen because we only learn about it. We don't see it. Mm-hmm. And if you do see it, it's the rare few. And But, you know, that was just it. So I really don't know why it is. And I really, it's saddening maybe to me mm-hmm. a little bit that it's such a predominant thing. Yeah. And that you, that, people have to really just say, you know, see me for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I wish things were better because I raised kids in this whole, you know, thing right now. And I really didn't like having to explain why there's a divide or try to, I can't even explain it because I can't explain it to myself. Yes. I just don't understand it. Yeah. I I hear you. And so you've got all this, like authenticity and friendly community and this family ethos. And I imagine that's something you weave into your books. Is that true? Oh, definitely. You have to. Yeah. I could see why readers would be attracted to that. Right. Like something. It's everything is a little bit, yeah, a little bit of escapism from what we're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. And I think that, since we all need a little bit of an escape Mm -hmm. in all honesty and um i just try to give people and give my readers you know myself i i keep telling everyone that every book no matter how many there are they're all my babies and i keep all the characters in my head and my husband always says i do not know how you do this Mm -hmm. because you you go into the shower and then you come back out and you're telling me about these people that are talking to you in their head and like, oh, you figured this out and this person, you're talking about them like they're real people. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm saying to him, as a writer, they are real people. Mm-hmm. They're like living in there. They all have rooms. They're meeting up for barbecues. And he's like, that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to, I think if the authenticity, it comes from being yourself. Yeah, I mean, the story is a story and you can write it well, but when you start putting your heart into it, it's mm. to become something amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When you put your heart into it, it becomes something amazing. Did you always put your heart into it or, you know, or did, were there things that kind of maybe hang ups that kept you from accessing that early on? Um, I, I put my heart into everything from dancing yeah. to cooking to <laughs> books. I mean, I, I don't ever do anything halfway. I was a writer and I still went back to school and I became a certified chef hmm. because I wanted to write characters that are a certified chef. And I was like, okay, you want to write it? You're going to do it. And then I found, and because I grew up in a community of people that love food, because we love to eat and we love to make food and we love to give people our food. It was like another great journey for me. Mm. But um, starting out, it wasn't always that great because with small press or indie press or what you guys would call vanity press came a lot of problems as well. You know, people taking your money and not giving you royalties and Mm. you, you really can't do anything about it. Or one minute you have an, publisher in the next minute to close their doors and you have to basically hunt them down <laughs> to be able to get your rights back to be able to publish your work yeah and a lot of those steps and you know the stumbling blocks they were would you know make a lot of people pause a little bit and say do i want to go through this again yeah. do i want to go do this again and can i trust this person or can i not and I said, you know what, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it the same way you do everything. Jump in feet first and keep swimming. I'm like, Dory, just keep swimming. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dory. 
one of my kids' favorite shows. I mean, movies, they love Dory. Oh, yeah, I love, I love those movies. They're great. Um, <laughs> yeah, so clearly, I mean, 15 years, and, and have you had moments where, like, you maybe slowed down or took a pause from writing? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when I had my son, I did, and um, I... I'm very like high capacity. <laughs> um, I don't feel good unless I'm multitasking, but that comes with a lot of different, you know, things as well. You multitask and then you're overstressed out. You get overstressed out. You mm-hmm. start getting anxiety. And in all honesty, being a writer, I've dealt with a lot of anxiety and I've dealt with a lot of stress and. I've dealt with the, because I write so much, I've dealt with hand surgeries and mm. yeah, stuff like that. And then I have a condition called keratoconus in my eye. So I had to have cornea transplants at one point and then I'm still dealing with that kind of. So I'm kind of like the person that's always squinting, looking at everything. So my optometrist is trying to fix that for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes with a lot of wear and tear. It's kind of like word football. Uh-huh. <laughs> you get you get a lot of wax in there, and you're like, okay, you got to get back up. You're 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 the KG veteran. <laughs> Maybe sit out spring training. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So how so how have you come to have you come to grips with like anxiety and stress in your process? I had to because if I, I mean, there came a point when I knew I wasn't okay and I knew it was okay to not be okay. Mm. And I had to come to that realization in myself because I was burning the candle at both ends and I'm a mom and I'm a caregiver to a disabled veteran and I'm, Mm. you know, I'm writing and then I'm traveling and there were so many different aspects and I have family that needed me and kids that needed me and now they're growing up they might not need me as much but um they still when they call and say mom i'm still there yeah and it's just a lot of that and there came a point where i just fractured (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like there is my cup overfloweth and i can't do it anymore and the fracture is when i really thought to myself okay if you're going to be doing all of this you got to find some kind of balance in here Mm -hmm. And I really felt bad for, you know, having that fracture in there that, you know, that I wasn't superwoman and I couldn't handle it all. And I really had to learn that it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't just me. It was me going to therapy and talking it out because I internalized. I'm like one of the biggest introverts you'll find. Mm -hmm. So I don't talk. And I'm like, I'm always have to be the strong one. So don't talk about, you don't talk about feelings if you're strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I had to break that stigma in myself and, you know, find out that, you know, it's okay that I'm not okay and start working towards a more positive way of handling all of these things that go on in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is, you know, like this comes up for a lot of people, authors or not, but I see this a lot mid-career, yeah. right? authors and when it becomes your full-time job right that adds another dimension to it you know financial um, aspects yeah it makes you feel like you can't sail and then you know you stress about sales you stress about income you stress about okay i need to do this i need to keep the family going and so it's a really it's like walking on a very fine line between you know success and then just going completely off the rails yeah and you have to learn to make that line wider so that it's a path that you can keep going down so it doesn't affect your health and it doesn't affect your psyche and it doesn't affect your family or you know all the things that's going on because if it affects me it obviously will affect them yeah so healing wasn't just for me it was healing was for them as well Mm. So what does balance look like now? Balance looks like writing as best as I can Mm -hmm. and, you know, taking breaks, actually taking breaks and (laughs) just 
I'm still trying to figure out the breaks thing because I feel guilty for mm. taking breaks. Mm-hmm. And I just try to go out more. I yeah. eat, try to eat healthier. I try not to stay in my office, like, you know, and just come out at night like Dracula. Like, <laughs> I actually try to get sunshine now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I embrace things more and I, I have a big to-do list. And I'm like, instead of just having that big to-do list of things that I want to do, I'm just going to do it. So I'm going to take trips and I'm going to live because I think that part of it was that we put so much thought and effort and all of ourselves into our work. We forget that we need to live outside of those characters and those plots and those book lines. Yeah. And I don't know what the culture is like in Barbados, but we've definitely got this, um, like, I don't know, this, this attachment to delaying our gratification or putting off living or those those balanced things until we're done working right? yeah and that's and this is not how it was raised because we have carnival we have sundays at the beach we have you know a whole festival we have so many festivals and on friday nights there's this thing called oysting's lime which is basically everybody relaxing so everyone comes from the you know the resorts and home and everything and we're eating we're laughing and we're dancing and it's like letting off the day mm-hmm. and it's like awesome and then you go back to the day and you feel refreshed and then here I am and I forgot all about that so when I went home again and I actually experienced that I was like man, you have not been doing that for years, Mm. for years. And you are, you know, we take time to chill. Yeah. And I noticed that we don't take time to chill here. Yes. It's like on Saturday nights, everything's closed and it doesn't open again until Monday mornings and everything goes clockwork around. We like nothing really closes, you know, supermarkets, everything is open. And in the islands, everything closed down for a minute. So people can take a breath. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to start taking a breath here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned like, you're still struggling to, to take breaks, right? Yeah. I'm still trying to find that balance because like I said, it's been 15 years of me going full throttle yeah. so now I have to learn how to ease back on that and take a little bit of time but I'm slowly learning and it's actually enhancing the writing because now I'm not that stressed Oh yeah. and it's, it's opening up the doors that you know were slammed shut with stress and I'm like okay the creativity and all of that great stuff is coming back and I feel lighter and you know mm-hmm. I can shut the computer down before midnight and you know actually go do something like six o'clock i'm getting off the computer now even mm-hmm. if i force myself i'm like and you're done yeah. and then my mind is screaming like no you're not done and i'm like yes we're done i'll have a margarita <laughs> yeah. <we're> done. <laughs> sounds like a, a foundation of a of an author business plan to, yeah <laughs> to take breaks if it means that the writing experience is better and the writing's better and and you're more sustainable. Uh, yeah. But a lot of us forget that part. We just, and it's not just in writing. It's like every day we always seem to, no matter what we're doing, forget that we're simply human and we can't do it all. Yeah. And there's going to be times where we need to take a break. If not, the break is going to take us. Uh-huh. <laughs> in some way, somehow we're going to, you know, have to take that break. So it's better to do it the easy way than the hard way. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes I'll be like bleary eyed and, you know, obviously needing a nap, you know, my yeah. wife's like, why don't you, you know, why don't you lay down? Take a nap. I'm like, I can't. She's like, why? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a, I don't know, there's no good explanation. Go take a nap. Cause I, cause I could, you know, be awake and do stuff. I don't know. Exactly. But then you're bleary eyed and then we're like, yeah. we're not yep. enjoying what we're doing anyway. Take the nap. Yep. I, no. I find that I like naps now. Naps are wonderful. I don't know yeah. why kids don't like naps. Oh my gosh. Could you please talk to my five-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you love naps? This is a thing. This, I was like, I'm like, wow. I was 
mad about gnats when I was growing up. Why? This is awesome. Right. I think I think it's the same thing though. I mentioned, you know, there's so much excitement. There's things to do. Oh, like, gosh, don't want to miss anything. Yeah, kids seem to think that they're missing a lot. And I'm like, really, you're just missing bubble guppies at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And you know it's going to be a rerun later, so take the nap. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it feels like there's so much life to catch up on. Maybe that's that's part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And plus they have unlimited energy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I really want one ounce of the energy that that they have, and I could do so much in a day. <laughs> like, if they just keep going and going. I'm like, goodness, aren't you tired? No. <laughs> yeah, but you probably wouldn't write more. You'd just bounce between different activities. Yeah, probably. That in itself seems exhausting. <laughs> but somehow they manage it. Right. Well, so what, what do you, like, over the course of time, I imagine, like, you know, what you're writing about shifts, right? And, like, do you remember kind of, like, what you were writing about 15 years ago versus what's kind of interesting to you now? 15 years ago, I was writing primarily um, military, you know, romance because we were just ransacking new, you know, still in Operation Iraqi Freedom, and there were still a lot of our guys over there. Mm-hmm. And I was dealing with my husband being home and, you know, all the things that go along with, you know, PTSD. And mm-hmm. he was blown up a few times in his Humvee, so he had traumatic brain injuries. He, mm-hmm. had, he had to get a, a spinal stimulator in his back, so he's 100% disabled. So I do... Mm-hmm most of everything mm-hmm. and I let him relax a lot because the winter time is horrid on his back mm-hmm. and like then I was really writing more military romance because we were seeing a lot of people coming home and that happy ending that we want them to have wasn't happening they were being you know yeah. left they were going through divorces or you know left at the VA and their their you know health issues weren't a major concern and the suicide rate for soldiers and everything went up. And that mm-hmm. was really a big cause for me. Mm-hmm. And because I know what I was dealing with, with him and his PTSD and we call him Sarge mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were, and I was dealing with him and I was, I was seeing it in a lot of his friends and we were seeing the stress and, you know, and every time there was the news on and there was another bombing or another death, he took it on. And I was like, okay, a lot of these people aren't having these happy endings. And I said, you know what? Even if I can't do it, I'm going to write them their happy endings. Mm-hmm. And then there was whole, there was a hold. Um... <laughs> From there. And I did write them their happy endings. And I think a lot enough when I started writing and I started going to like, conventions and stuff like that and really pushing my books and talking on panels and different things and a lot of my readers were military wives and stuff and they were like thank Mm. you for doing this because no one is ever seeing the aspect of that these weren't just soldiers going overseas this was my husband or my brother or my uncle and they came back a little bit broken but Mm. no one's really helping them with that part so Mm. I think that I primarily did that a lot through the first early years of that and then progressed to like small towns and suspense and thrillers and urban fantasy and stuff like that but I really started out because that was a passion of mine because I wanted to I I couldn't heal everyone but maybe I could offer them some comfort in a different way yeah yeah so what was behind the shift to small small town romance and, and the other genres? Was it just so you could play around and with? Be- mm-hmm. I, and because I like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm one of those people that basically have so many different interests. I try to put them in my books. 
So I went with small town. I went with urban fantasy, paranormal. And I'm a big, like I said, convention buff. So I love going to conventions and cosplaying and, you know, meeting other people. And all of that vibrancy just helps me, you know, write. Yeah. Because you'll see me dressed as, you know, Harley Quinn one day. And the next day I'm dressed like in a Star Trek costume. Nice. And this is all part of me. (laughs) I am such a big nerd. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what are you what are you writing about now? Um, right now I am writing um, a historical. It's called The Owl and the Pussycat, you know, to play off the little nursery rhyme. Mm. But it's about um, a cat burglar, and she's female in Victorian times, and this dupe that has to catch the cat burglar. So she's the pussycat and he's the owl because, mm-hmm. he, you know, owls are basically predators, and he's the little pussycat that has to get away. So mm-hmm. it's like this whole wordplay of them just trying to oust each other it's kind of like a mix between sherlock mrs fisher's diaries and murdoch mysteries all in one (laughs) yeah yeah so what is it about the like victorian times that that made sense or intrigues you i have always been intrigued by the victorian times i'm a big like i said big nerd lord of the rings (laughs) and um queen elizabeth like you know golden age stuff like that and it's been a lot of research and i've always found the research so fascinating because you know shows make it look so easy but it really was not that easy it was really horrible mm-hmm. unless you were rich if you were rich you were good if you were in poverty or you lived in the slums you were in workhouses and you were you were you know at work from the time you were five years old and you just lived in like complete poverty and disease ridden and i i I like to look at the aspects i'm a big research buff so it really just got me open to writing more historicals and i basically research everything from historicals to like glass blowing if i like it i'll research it and i'll find a way to put it in a book well that that makes sure that you don't ever have writer's block i would imagine (laughs) no So is I the really uh, is the are are the owl and the pussycat are they both more poverty level characters or is there um, a class difference between them? There's no big class difference between them because she's actually one of the people that live in the manor houses and has the money and everything, but she steals. She's kind of like Robin Hood. She steals from her own people to help the poor mm-hmm. because she's she's you know took. In the historical times, the nice people, the dukes and the duchesses and the lords and the ladies would dress in, um, you know, commoner clothing to go Mm -hmm. experience life in those areas. Like go to a pub or, you know, a place, you know, the brothels and everything because they thought it was titillating to go to these places and see how the poor people lived. Yes. So when she thought about doing it, you know, her mother said, you want to see how the poor people live? I'm going to take you and you're going to see how they live. And it changed her to know that, you know, we can't just live like this. And these people are living, you know, hand to mouth. Their kids are dying. They're dying in the streets. And we're just here eating and drinking and, you know, living life in luxury. Mm -hmm. So that was one of her main reasons why she started stealing from everyone she knows yeah and helping the poor yeah yeah do you see parallels of that today um kind of yeah we i mean this gas shortage for instance is just like oh my god why are people so crazy and you know in the last year like hoarding the toilet paper and i'm like why why are you hoarding toilet paper and meat it just didn't fathom to me that you know that people could be selfish like that because when everything happened our neighborhood became like that little community that I always Mm. talk about and you didn't have this you go give it to someone else and they come back and they give you something and you know we shared food and everything and I'm like or we'd say hey you know Costco's has toilet paper let's go oh, well, let me get some, let me get some for blah, 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 because they can't get out. And we have a lot of older people in our neighborhood that really couldn't get out. So the last year was spent with us 
with buying for ourselves and buying for other people because they couldn't get out and you really didn't want them to be in this cluster or get hurt or get ill. So we just did that. So, mm. you know, it was the correlation became startling all of a sudden, like mm. you, people look out for themselves a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I think about it in relation to like global warming and, and the debates about how quickly to move on, mm-hmm. on transforming our economies and how we do things. Cause it feels like the subtext is the subtext is we're arguing about who has the right to live, mm-hmm. you know, globally, right? Like, like how many people in societies are we okay with, you know, being inconvenienced or wiped out, you know? Yeah. And it's, kind of a mentality of like if it doesn't if i don't see it it doesn't concern me but it does it does it really does right and you you have to show some kind of empathy to other people because they we need as a as a global community if we don't combine and help each other we're basically lost we're doomed (laughs) i always i always take it from like marvel age of ultron when he was like well they're naive and they're innocent and the thing isn't perfect because it's forever and then Ultron says they're doomed and I'm like he could not be more right we're kind of doomed if we don't start you know working together yeah 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 <laughs> and see my my nerd came out there because I'm referencing comic books I love, I love it <laughs> <laughs> you would love my house then because we have big old you know conversations about who's going to be get all in the multiverse is crazy okay well let's 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 <laughs> Let's let's talk nerd for a second then. Like, let's let's talk nerd. Okay, so what's your what's your favorite nerd discovery in the last year? Favorite nerd discovery. Hmm. Okay, favorite would be the new Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League. Hmm. Because the other one that was done by Josh Whedon was a farce, and this one was much darker. And I was like, okay, this is DC. And we have this big discussion about who's DC and who's Marvel and, you know, and I'm always for the darker characters. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, and what I really loved was everyone was talking about, oh, no, the new Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix wasn't good. And yeah. I was like, no, this thing was wonderful. And I think that it opened up a level of, you know, his acting that I would never think that he would have. And now I'm you know, completely crazed with everything he does. And I want him to do everything now. Mm. The Justice League with the Zack Snyder cut. Yeah, I I heard a little bit about how that evolved, you know, like, I guess. It was so much better. It's worse four hours of my time. (laughs) And it was four hours long. I thought they were kidding, but it was literally four hours long. And I was like, Isn't that interesting, like how, like our tolerance shifts for those things when we're able to just press pause and and breaks. Like, and it was, we do need to press pause and take breaks. We definitely do. And I do it for comics and cosplay. Yeah. Maybe if they did that at the movie theaters, there'd be more three or four hour movies if there was like an intermission. Yeah. I, I, remember, if this was, I remember the Lord of the Rings like sitting yes. there on, on the last movie. <laughs> yes. On the third one. And like it was basically over, but they had the 30 minute Dana Mall. And, like, yeah. and it's like, I have to go to the bathroom. I don't know what I'm gonna miss. I have to go. <laughs> that was me and the Hobbit. Like the, you know, the last return of the king. No, Battle of the Five Armies. Yep, that one. Yeah. Getting my my token mixed, you know. But yeah. Battle of the Five Armies. I think that I didn't move, and I was like, "Oh God, please!" <laughs> Until I can get outside. When it's over, straight to the bathroom. <laughs> I wasn't going to miss a thing, and now What's, I watch it religiously. Do you have a favorite book in the last year? Or favorite? Um, favorite book in the last year would be I um, Game of Thrones. Because I watched the series and I was like, okay, this can't just be what it was. And then I was like, well, I have to read the books. And then I read those. And my son has got me into anime now. My oldest, he's graduating from UNC Charlotte with a degree in like um, art and art literature and all that stuff. And he got Mm. me into anime. So 
I've been delving into anime and I'm like, man, these people are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. Um, What is it about anime that's so interesting? I think the the storyline is like, it's just, it's not what I'm accustomed to. I'm accustomed to things going from like A to B to C and then they always throw these plot twists in there and the Mm -hmm. art visuals are amazing. I watched The Mandalorian and because I love The Mandalorian, but I love the art at the end of it. And I was like, okay, that's visually startling. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, nerd, art nerd. <laughs> it, it combined in there. And then I get both with anime. I think I'm watching something called The Hero Academia now with my son. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is new, but I kind of like it. I saw, the, I saw the ads for it like on my tv got like one of those tvs that like advertises to you mm-hmm. now <laughs> so we you all like, have that tv yes so you like it you think it's good yeah i think it's i think it's pretty good and now i'm like oh he, his book bag is all hero academia and stuff and i'm like oh i understand what he's talking mm-hmm. about now so, so. It, sounds, it sounds like you like a little bit of like the grim dark or the the darker things in your I'm a Scorpio. I'm supposed to. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio yep. too. Have I'm you a- seen? Have you seen? I don't know if you have, do you have Netflix. Yes, I do. Um, we've been watching the show called Vincenzo. It's a it's Ooh, a I south have, it's a South that. Korean production, and I don't know. Oh, I haven't on, seen it. I don't know what's going on with the South Korea contract, <laughs> but they're pu- pumping out like all these like really high end, mm-hmm. like top quality like shows and movies and so been dipping into that and it's a really strange um combination of like dark and really whimsical and humorous Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me when you can hit both of those extremes in the same and they do it so well they're it's like seamless and now i just added that to my queue (laughs) yeah you know the the little netflix queue now it's in there now you're talking and i'm like (laughs) vincendo yeah, check it out for sure. Well, how can so how can people find you, Dahlia? How can they learn more about you? Um, you can find me on um, my website is Dahlia. Let me see, Dahlia Rose Unscripted dot mm-hmm. Have to remember that. And then um, I'm on Facebook. All they have to do is to look for Dahlia Rose, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Possibly TikTok, definitely not Snapchat. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But I'm basically all over. And then, you know, you can contact me via email at author.dahliarose and gmail.com. And, you know, I always, I, I love when people reach out and I love talking nerd and I love talking books. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Dahlia, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's been wonderful. You let me talk nerd for a little bit and I'm happy. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.